，周哥哥，我出事。You're going to die. Takes a Kamiho whisperer. This is Lovecraft Country spoilers. This is spoilers. It wasn't great. It was we had nothing <laughs> to go on there. We're covering a lot of ground, uh, but this is the familiar voice of one of your hosts tonight, Pappy, recording from Louisville, Colorado. We skipped a week of Lovecraft Country spoilers because spoilers host Jordan got married and that's Josh's brother. So he was kind of busy with that. So congrats to Jordan. But we're back better than ever with a three episode slate for you tonight doing five, six, and seven of Lovecraft Country. Pappy, are we going to bring it home with eight, nine, and ten then? Is that the end of the end of the season? Uh, We could do that. I kind of wanted to do eight, nine, and maybe ten on its own. I think that could be kind of cool. Like just as a big sum up because I'm hoping we get Cthulhu by then but the voice you just heard was Josh why don't we let um our hosts introduce ourselves starting with Josh uh who you are where you're recording from and oh I haven't thought of a spoiler yet have you have you read anything recently or any podcast you've been listening to recently Josh hello this is Josh from Goshen um Always, we never tell each other these questions beforehand, and I'm it's sorry. Just like, I got to try to sound cool or something. Um, I actually just re-binge the Adventure Zone, which is like one of the nerdiest things I've ever done. I listened to that twice. Now. You love that pod. It's, it's a McElroy Brothers podcast. Um, they're the guys from My Brother, My Brother, and Me. But I'll I'll just leave it there. We got a, a lot of stuff to cover tonight. I like it. Uh, then the familiar host, Stevie, I think you've been on all of these Lovecraft Country episodes so far, but what have you been listening to or reading? Any any HP Lovecraft? Um, not any HP Lovecraft. This is about as Lovecraft as it gets for me. Um, let's see here. I love the podcast Script Notes, hosted by John August, who wrote um, Big Fish, and Craig Mazin, who wrote Chernobyl. Hello, and welcome. My name is John August. My name is Craig Mazin. And this is Script Notes, a podcast about screenwriting and things that are interesting. Uh, and he's also writing uh, The Last of Us HBO series. And their episode on screenwriting is really informative and really cool. So I love that pod. Script Notes is the name of the mm-hmm. pod? Yeah. Yep. Check that out. And last but not least, we have a special returning guest, two-time member of the podcast, Dave we which actually Dave, which last name should we call you? Because you, you go by two last names online, and there was a discussion in the thread on if you two were the same person, and, it turned, <laughs> and uh, those kind of came together. But Dave, where you, who are you? Where are you recording from? And what have, what media have you been into lately? Uh, I'm Dave Mello. Uh, Dave Wheelrout is the uh, author persona I use, so I can publish books without getting. Uh, in trouble when I try to apply for teaching jobs. Um, Smart. Uh, shout out to Jordan. Congrats on the marriage. Um, so I'm recording from uh, Massachusetts, um, Worcester, Massachusetts, to be specific. And I have been digging on the 
are you uh what how is it are you talking talking heads to my talking head podcast i believe it's called um it cha- the name seems to change weekly uh but it's you know the adam scott scott ackerman talking heads podcast and they just had a special guest on to talk about an album in the form of david wayne from wet hot american summer and i feel like i am now the david wayne of this <laughs> lovecraft endeavor <laughs> That's very yeah, and I and you're uh, we did a top five episodes or favorite shows on TV, which is going to be a super episode of the Goodbye Mellow Brick Road podcast, which you host, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, but let's get into the episode tonight. Uh, like I said, we're, I'm doing five. Stevie's going to do six. Josh is going to do seven. Dave, I want to start with you. The way I look at five is there was two major kind of plot points there was ruby drinking the polyjuice potion and turning <laughs> white and there was montrose uh exploring his sexuality and, and the audience kind of learning about his sexuality which one do you want to kick us off with i would say let's do uh ruby that seemed to be the main focus it was it seemed like a, a big ruby episode to me i think mm-hmm. i remember i was watching it with my dad and he was like you know I feel like these two are going to end up being the same person. And I was like, no, surely I've seen a scene with them together. <laughs> but then I started looking at them and I was like, wow, these two Aryans really look identical. Um, and I mean, I've, I've long established and not a fan of gore. So there was a lot of body morphing same. and blood and vessels that was hard to get through. But I mean, for a character study, it's, you know, we, we got to Trojan horse it through some horror. Well, something Dave just mentioned that I wondered, do they ever appear earlier together or did he die like since an earlier episode or do you guys know exactly the timeline there? I don't think they actually did appear. I think he did die before unless anyone else has something different. I did. This show is very confusing to me. There's a lot of information because not only <laughs> like there's multiple people like switching into multiple bodies, which do what are their names? One's uh, I don't even have it. Christina, Christina, and one's Michael, William, William, Christina, and William. Mm-hmm. I didn't even. I thought they were twins <laughs> when the show started. I had no idea they were even. I thought they were brother sister. Yeah, like a Lannister type situation. Stevie, what's actually happening there? Like from a mechanics of the show, how is how are people switching bodies? We find out in a later episode that William or later in this episode or another episode that William was on the brink of creating this potion. Uh, Christina ended up like finishing it. It's really strange, but it's a blood spell. So we find out that the person that Ruby, the white woman that Ruby turns into is dead and Christina's drawing blood on that. And William is already dead and she's drawing blood from that. But I'm not going to lie. I don't love episode five at all. Oh, I just don't, but I love the scenes where like the body starts cracking and the skin starts <laughs> falling off. Like I think that is so cool from a makeup and special effects standpoint. I think that is awesome. There's a lot of locust themes like in this. Like there's like one scene like, when she's first metaphor like metamorphosizing, there's a TV announcer and he's like talking about the ten billion locusts mm-hmm. that are headed straight for London or something. Like first of all, I want to know what happened with that. Like did that actually did they make it? Like where <laughs> Where they end up going, but I think even the dance that like Sammy does uh, later, he says it's called like the locust or something. Like, and it, so it keeps coming back to this theme of like, there's kind of like this like wanting to be someone you're not, or, or, or wanting to like transcend what society is. I guess the box that has put you in, right? And like, what Ruby's able to do is transcend like her 
what she's been typecast as as society as a black lady and when she becomes this white lady josh what happens to her because this is i think i i really did like this part of it um when she's in carson's and, and everything that happens with her boss i thought this is really well done yeah so i maybe this isn't the most entertaining episode stevie but i think this has a lot of really memorable moments for better or for worse one already mentioned by dave the skin sloughing off great never gonna forget that really and then the second one is this woman who's been oppressed her entire life suddenly in a white person's body and to see that i guess in william's words that she gets treated like a human being and how that kind of changes her i thought that's pretty compelling stuff Mm -hmm. well there's a lot of like and like the way she treats to tamra too right it's like she's and again, we, I think we talked about this on the last episode. If it was something that like Tamara had lighter skin color, but I kind of think potentially that the whole reason that the boss picked her is like he thought that that was someone that he could bully. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, because he's a terrible person, the boss. I agree with that. And I think that a lesser show would make that relationship very one-sided. Like she would go out of her way to mentor her or she would be trying, her motivation would be like to get her fired so she could take that token black spot at Marshall Fields but instead it's like really complex and you're always kind of left wondering what she's going to do next and I really like that about the show mm-hmm. and it uses the word currency a lot I think uh, Ruby mentions that like her currency was just being a white lady for an afternoon and then they're talking about like how magic is the currency of like power and it's kind of like that this is how they're able to transact in a society that kind of like rejects them. But like speaking of being rejected, there's, I mean, intersectionality Dave Montrose is a very complex character. How are you feeling about him at this point in the show? Cause he's done some bad things, but we've seen many sides of him. I don't fully understand uh, him. Like when I don't, when they killed that, like Yahima or the like, was that mm-hmm. it? Yahima, the one they killed in the Indiana Jones kind of episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he just like, but then like it, he like got like, like tick beat him up and he was upset. But then like, I don't know. It just, it's very odd. Like I feel like all the Montrose threads just keep ending up like hitting walls, but for no reason. Like I was very confused about um, his role in this like larger narrative. Like I, I really like the, like the interior character stuff. And there's a, there's more of that even in episode uh, seven when they uh, have breakfast together but in this one I just was baffled I don't really know I was definitely like just checked out of the Montrose stuff I was more into yeah I got like some some uh, Joan from Mad Men vibes from the Ruby storyline and that was what was drawing me and more I can can't make heads or tails of the character arc of Montrose because I, I especially since I thought he was not going to be a big part of the show and then he turns up and re- basically replaces Courtney B. Vance and that was that's funny that you mentioned Joan from Mad Men because that was the initial thing with Ruby where it's like okay she's a a white lady now and all of her problems are like solved. That kind of felt like bad from like a feminist perspective. It's like well you know it wasn't that it's great like to be a woman back then. She didn't have like all of these opportunities. And then like I think it's like <laughs> when you see Christina is transforming into William. It's like oh, okay I get it. Like you know she's still they're still trying to get more power. But like. I don't know, Stevie, like the character inconsistency as we wrap up this episode, like Tick is like out of control, violent in this episode. You know what I mean? Like, did did that track for you? That that was really confusing. Did not track at all. 
Um, a lot of things with Tick from this episode on really don't track. That's one part of this episode I didn't love, but one thing I really loved was in this episode was its uh, use of color. Yeah. So, Pap, you and I have talked about this, how important the color red is throughout this show. Mm-hmm. And so when Ruby first uh, transforms into, um, what's the white woman's name? Wish you could go by Tamara. I don't know. Uh, it's Ruby Ruby White. Yeah, Ruby yeah. White. Yeah, I to say Ruby White. Um, when she first goes to apply, or like when she's kind of first getting used to herself, she um, is wearing like this black dress, but they make it a real focal point of her wearing these red gloves. And then when she's like fully confident and ready to go apply for that job, she's wearing a full red dress. And with Montrose, in this episode, he starts off wearing these really bland, earthy tones. And then when he goes over to Sammy's, um, Sammy has like a really so- a gray and soft red shirt that kind of spiral around. And then when we get to the club near the end of the episode, there's this scene where the lighting is so cool where half of Montrose's body is red and half of it is still those earthy tones. And then like he walks into the full red of the light to almost like embrace himself. It was really cool what they did with the color. That whole like party dance scene that has like the modern music playing over it that is so cinematic it reminds me a lot of uh the phantom thread party a little bit like where it's just kind of like chaotic and mm-hmm. like i don't know just fantastic in a lot of ways but yeah uh we a lot of sex scenes in this episode uh potentially leading to some pregnancies down the line but it ends i didn't get this stevie this is kind of the bridge between our two episode two episodes it ends with the initials being carved into the ring do you know what that meant and then he's not calling. a clue okay does anybody anybody know else meant? i don't have a clue yeah it's just helping him decode that language that's like a they knew rosetta stone ring basically i gotta i gotta put a stop to the pod though guys i mean speaking of red that's the color of the handkerchief she stuffs in his mouth when oh, ruby yeah. sticks this. her naughty stiletto her naughty stiletto how has this not been mentioned by now Right. <laughs> Dude, that is one of the most graphic <laughs> scene. Oh. I'm gonna go back and re record the spoiler and be like, Ruby shoves a stiletto up her racist <laughs> boss ass. This is spoilers. That would have been a million times better than whenever I said They show it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know why, but it was bloodier than I expected. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I, and less poopy than I would expect. <laughs> but like I, I also don't know like what I was expecting. It's I, I, I mean, she's it's a cathartic moment, right? And like you don't even, I like, he's a terrible person. She just basically, I don't know if she murdered him. Probably not. He's probably gonna live or whatever. Like when she says, like, I want you to He'll know, probably kill himself after that. I want you to know who did this to you, and she uses like the same like racial slur that he used earlier. Like it's like she's not, she's not just like stabbing that stiletto up his ass for what she, he did. Uh, uh, Tamra, he's stabbing that. She's stabbing that stiletto up his ass for like every time she's been interrupted in her life, and that's what she keeps going back to. Is like Ooh. things are going pretty good for her, and then she just gets interrupted. But not to interrupt episode six, Stevie. We're off on the other side of the world for uh, meet me in Dagao. Is that how you say it? Daegu. I've never never been to South Korea. Neither have I. I've <laughs> always wanted to go though. Always wanted to go, but this is what I thought we initially were going to get with um, Lovecraft Country, and I absolutely love this episode because 
we start off with a character that we do not know at all. 1949, South Korea. I think her name was, was it Gia? Gia. Yes. Sounds right. I don't know, but it, it's really cool. She lives with her mom. She's like planning on becoming a nurse. And there's like these things of like family and honor and bringing back like honor to the family. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like Josh, did you like how this started off? I mean, kind of like as its own separate story with nothing to do with anything else. I did, but it took me about halfway through the episode to realize this was going to be the whole episode, if you know what I mean. I kind of thought they'd go back to the main storyline for a while, so it's kind of distracting, but not to take away from this episode as a whole, but that was just like my initial reaction when I like flipped this episode on, you know? Bold choice to go like subtitles for basically 90% of the episode too, right? Like this is a reading one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I mean, honestly, subtitles don't bother me. I think it bothers Josh quite a bit. Nah. Did it bother you, Josh? It does. <laughs> Are we going to go deep into this again? Well, no, d- well, let's, let's pull in Dave. Dave, Dave, we go deep on this pod. Subs or dubs? Which one do you prefer? Oh, I'm a subs a guy. Call, like, you know, call me Jared Fogle. I love those subs. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> I'm subs over dubs guy, too, but we're not... We're talking about subs over versus just having like the regular volume on is what the actual argument is, right? Yeah. I mean, typically, I, in addition to the volume, because I can't hear anything. That's my problem. <laughs> I can barely hear <laughs> this podcast. I don't, I don't know. But I mean, like I, I was into the whole Korea setting. I thought it was great to like depart from what we've been doing. I thought it was like a brave choice, Stevie. So do I. And, so do I. And like the thing was too, I mean... You start off kind of like this girl, like especially if she goes to like her speed dating and no one's getting along with her or like not one guy is like, hey, I'll check this box. Um, I mean, even her nursing friend has to invite her out. Um, what are Dave, the like, what, what is, sorry, what is it like the sexual market like in South Korea where the men can just like pick from the women? Are there like way more women than men or something? Like it's like the opposite here. I think think there are more women than men or is it just like a power no i think that's an actual statistic pat this is the whole like mulan thing really yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt oh no you're good i was just gonna ask dave so dave you don't like gore right uh absolutely not what'd you think of kind of like the first (laughs) reversal in this episode when a dude gets shredded in half uh, after he goes home with this girl. Well, at first I was watching the tentacles uh, enter him from her, and I was like, this is pretty rough, but, you know, it's like tentacles. I can handle it. And then <laughs> he just, like, exploded into nothing and blood, and I just, I was just, I couldn't, I mean, that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. Kind of like the memories of that man stick with her the rest of her life. Hmm. What, a, what an amazing segue. <laughs> This first guy that she has sex with, they clown him so much. There's all these close-ups of his goofy-ass face when he's, like, getting off. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> oh, that poor bastard. But, Pap, what's the big twist in this? I mean, first off, we think, mm-hmm. like, oh, she needs to bring a guy home for honor. Then it's like, oh, she's a monster. Then there's so many layers to this. Like, what's the big twist? So, I think what it boils down to is... Her real mom, or okay, there was a woman who mar- who remarried a man, 
And the man intentionally targeted her because he was a pedophile and he knew that he could take advantage of her. He ends up raping her daughter. And then uh, does the daughter die from this? Right. Or no, no. So the daughter gets her mind erased and then she needs to, or something. The spirit inhabitor. It's a, it's basically like a King payment sort of situation. Right. Stevie. (laughs) So, and she needs to like fuck a hundred dudes and eat their souls is the end game. But I don't know why. And then she'll get her daughter back who will be unscathed. Is that what it is? Who won't remember any who of this? Who won't remember it? But she took revenge on the dad. And so the dad who had raped her has his memory implanted in her. And that's like a whole big plot point of like the beginning when you're trying to figure out what's going on. And like the mom's explaining that that's like not appropriate human love. Like it's... The information is doled out very sparingly. It's not like, you know, there's no big exposition dump per se, right? Yeah, and that was one thing. I mean, there was a great moment. I mean, it's it's dark, but it's a great moment where the mom is screaming at this, you know, spirit Kumiho. And she's like, I know my daughter's in there. I know my daughter's deep in there. And that's when the Kumiho starts uh, singing that lullaby she would sing when her stepfather would rape her. And it's like a really dark moment, but it also says a lot kind of about the family and also the rest of the episode. But there's also a whole tick subplot. Pat, did this do anything for you or would you kind of just like to kept with just uh, this Kumiho? The show is ambitious in the social justice themes that it's trying to tackle. And it's trying to tackle basically every social justice theme that I can think of from like American colonialism to trans rights to, you know, African-American rights. Like if we're going to set it in Korea, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine making tick a complex character like i think if you're asking me in general what would i prefer i wish this was just like an anthology you know what i mean i wish this Mm -hmm. was just like standalone if we're gonna do the lovecraft happy wants to see every 99th guy that she screws no 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 i'm saying (laughs) anthology i'm saying this could be like a one hour thing i think that the the next episode seven i think hippolonia could have just been a standalone story i think like five could have been a standalone story with ruby like i could have seen the whole Mm -hmm. hour of that story unfolding so i guess if you're saying like am i was i pumped that tick showed up not really at all but i do i do like uh that they're i guess making tick a challenging character right from like using a a homophobic slur in the next episode to like literally murdering a korean woman even though he is following orders like tick is not just like just a good guy which i find compelling Dave, what do you think about, like, Tick through this episode? Because he seems like a pretty stone-cold dude at this point. I mean, whether he's shooting an innocent woman in the head or pulling out, you know, a woman's tooth when she's being interrogated. Like, his personality seems really all over the place. Well, my my conception of the Korean War is limited mostly to M.A.S.H. Um, And and, uh, Tick in this episode... Uh, I, I uh, personally, I never saw uh, BJ or Hawkeye do any of the things that Tick does, um, so it's, it was a bit of a departure. Uh, I did, I liked how it kind of because a part of it, 
the show in the first episode I from the Jackie Robinson moment I was just I was hooked I was in I was like this is incredible Jackie Robinson just beat up a Lovecraft monster with a baseball bat I'm all in and then steadily that's been like eroded and I haven't felt that same like creative high until um, Gia is like in the movie theater all alone singing along to Judy Garland and I'm like oh I'm getting that feeling again And then when Tick came into the mix, I actually felt the opposite. I felt like he was enhancing her episode by connecting it to this like larger narrative and not so much like the story plot based narrative, Mm -hmm. but more like this emotional narrative of his character's journey Mm. and how there's so many moving parts of that. And the war is obviously something that's very big for him. So I appreciated how it brought it all in for this larger arc of the show. And let's just thank goodness that this isn't a story where, like, one of them saves the other in the throes of battle or some crap like that. I really enjoyed that it went away from those kind of cliches, too. I'm happy, Dave, that you bring up the Judy Garland moment, because I actually got really excited when she started, like, singing and dancing, because I thought we were going to get a whole musical episode. Oh. And I was (laughs) so pumped for that. And it went away (laughs) real quick. That would have been awesome. But... Yeah, that would have been great. Um, episode six ends pretty much how you think it's going to end, which is Tick and Jiha falling in love and Jiha eventually revealing herself as a Kumiho and Tick is freaked the fuck out. Um, even though this person who's a monster is telling them, telling him, hey, you're going to die like really quickly. He wants no part of it. And... Pap, we end the episode when they go to see this, um, Josh, I think you called it a moon dog. <laughs> it's a shaman, and I believe they call it a moodong. Moodong, And uh, okay. Stevie keeps purposely mispronouncing that as moon dog, <laughs> which is a classic <laughs> episode of spoilers. Super classic, but I mean, Pap, where do you think this like leads to? Are they like eventually going to come back to this? Like, What did it mean to you by the end? So like, she foresees him what was it being tortured right yeah and like potentially dying so like i don't know from the beginning i always thought that the this may be my unconscious bias i thought that the korean thing was like ominous and like scary that she was like a bad guy you know uh but it turns out she's been trying to warn him this whole time and i don't know i mean you brought up Watchmen earlier when when you and i were talking that you were like rewatching a couple of those it's like it's kind of kind of like the same thing now like where we he is his fate inevitable like probably you know what i mean yeah. like is she going to show up like is there going to be a conflict like a love triangle between her and letty especially if letty's now like pregnant with his baby like right i, I see that like upcoming like i i'm excited for it though like this is six is like my favorite episode of the series so far mine like, as well i want more of her lore i want more of that like i'm all in for for where it's gone People that listen to this podcast know that I love cryptozoology. And Stevie, can I use my Stevie question to ask you about this eight-tailed tiger spirit? Oh, please. Nine tails? Yeah, just tell me. Oh, nine tails. Yeah, tell me everything you know about it because I'm pretty lost on it. 
Okay, so all the only experience I have ever had with Kamihos in pop culture is, I believe, it's um, Love, Death, and Robots, which is an amazing animated anthology on Netflix. And there's one episode where a father and son um, are like hunting Kumihos at night, and they they typically come in the form of call girls and like comfort girls, and that's like that's typically when like the Kamihos typically murder really bad men so that's the and i and i know they're foxes they're this looks more kind of like wormy and octopus like the tails are typically more like furry and nicer looking than what we got we need like a bumper for this dv question segment like when someone like you, <laughs> did it, did it, did it. uses this dv question like just plays this little like jam for a second <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it's not lovecraftian at all, right? Like this is just some South Korean lore that they're pulling. This is in. South Korean lore, yes. Yeah, but doesn't that fit right in with? Oh yeah, Lovecraft stuff. No, I'm not. I, I just don't. I, I'm so unfamiliar with Lovecraft because I feel like, like sometimes I feel like it's like, like in the next one, I feel like it's like an explicit Lovecraft reference that I'm not getting because I don't read him. One thing that kind of stood out to me was I wonder whoever wrote this, if they'd ever been to South Korea or just like research South Korea online. Because one of the first things they mentioned is kimchi. South Koreans, I mean, as far as I know, in South Korean culture, like love kimchi. So that kind of made me smile a little bit. Kimchi and soju. That's all I know about South Korea. That's all I know. <laughs> but yeah, that was episode six and Meet Me in Daegu. Uh, I'm going to pick us up into chapter or episode seven. I don't know if they call them chapters, but... This one just immediately, right off the bat, had some cool payoffs on some props that we've been talking about. Dave, are you as big of a fan of the comic book that the daughter is writing and the solar system, like panorama, like sort of alarm clock thing, as we are? I think they're pretty interesting objects. I still have. Like, I'm very lost in what any of this has to do with any sort of narrative. But, I mean, they're interesting. I think they're awesome. And I'd been hearing a lot of hype about episode six, and I love episode six. But episode seven kind of blasted me into outer space, literally. (laughs) I loved it so much. Um, Dave, since I'm talking to you right now, why don't you take us along? Like, instead of just being a background prop, it kind of becomes like a focal point. Where does... Uh, this cool solar system prop leave Hippolyta. So I'm not going to be great with any sort of common nouns. I mean, proper nouns in this uh, and like locations and such, because there's a lot of travel. I mean, these people seem to, they can Mm -hmm. get from point A to point B and that can be like across the globe and they can get there in in like an hour. Um, Incredible driving uh, skills from everyone. It's the Woody. That car got like a thousand miles to the gallon, and its tank is ten thousand gallons big. And Atticus like has no car to speak of, and is just as quick. Um, uh, but I think so. So the first half of the episode is sort of like a. It's very. It seems like a very uh, moving the plot forward kind of thing. You know, uh, Montrose is hanging out, and Atticus is not happy about who uh, with whom he is hanging out. Um, and um but then hippolyta this is you know finally uh she is taking uh center stage in the episode here as she is um well we can breeze by that but one question i do have that i want to pause on and i'll open this up for everyone and then toss it back to you dave but they use like the 
F word, like the 2020 F word. Hard F. Thoughts, comments, suggestions? <laughs> suggestions. You know, <laughs> I, I... Was it needed, I guess? Yes, absolutely needed. And if if he, he as a man, particularly a like a black man in the 50s, would have accepted his father figure as a homosexual, carte blanche with open arms, it would have been like the most unrealistic thing in the show is seen that is a show with vampires and Jackie Robinson, like attacking things with bats. Like Cthulhu is like that. I'm, I'm frankly disappointed. Like I think it's totally unrealistic that tick would experience no racism in South Korea. Like that was really surprising to me. And like, frankly unrealistic, but I, to me, Josh, I think that like anything, you know, the word is the word, but anything short of him, like rejecting that, or like he's having a moment would have been, completely unrealistic do you think he needed to say it though and he could have like shown it what would he have said i don't know like well because i mean like I, I think him just saying that makes him like really surface level and like he was abused growing up a lot and i think they could have incorporated some sort of tick or mannerism in the very beginning and him resorting to that and almost like sulking or doing a flashback, I think would have been more effective than just dropping the hard F word. Is the F word like kind of the word fuck is for PG-13 movies, but for like rated R stuff, you just get one F word? You only get one. <laughs> you, got, you got to go hard. You only get one. But like we talk about, I've talked about this like a million times. Like, And every time that word comes up on this podcast, I usually default to, okay, how is it being framed? And I use the example, you know, it's not problematic that Paul Dano uses the N word in 12 years a slave because it's realistic. If a bully is using an F word in the eighties movie, I can, if there's like, you know, retribution or if we're meant to know that that's a mistake, or that's a bad guy. Like I can accept that. Like I'm, that's why I'm not a big fan of like Bender using it in the breakfast club. He seems like a good guy. Like, but this is like one of the only examples I can think of where a show is willing, like, they're being so challenging with Tick, in my opinion, Josh. Like, I, I, like between him, like, murdering Korean civilians and, and, yeah, using that word, like, short of, like, a white person using the N-word, that's, like, the most extreme word of hate they could probably use on the show, right? I, I think it's, like, challenging and interesting and right up HBO's alley. They also, like, um, they show that it's it's less rooted in, like, a sense of, uh, homophobia than it is in like a, a like Atticus feels almost um, betrayed by his father in in that moment where he almost like it was he's acting like a hypocrite it's not I mean it's still not a great word choice uh, but it's uh, I think it's coming from a different place than some than it might be uh, than it might seem at first was he saying that he was beating him as a child because he didn't want him to be gay as well or because he was just like taking out his frustrations about being a gay man as a black man in the 50s I think he was projecting yeah projecting yeah that makes more sense to me too anyway Dave <laughs> I, I mean I'm glad we touched on that but we can move on to what turns into some really just high fantasy sci-fi stuff here with Hippolyta um I'll toss it back to you, Dave, because she a key pops out of that solar system prop. I don't know what else to call it. I just keep calling it a prop. I don't know. I'm an idiot. <laughs> but a key pops out. She follows these coordinates, and there's like a lighthouse. 
actually the moon is like a lighthouse just this huge spotlight of a moon shining on her but she gets to this building and what happens as she enters the the cops are back uh well mm-hmm. some cops are back not the same cops they were destroyed by uh forest beasts last time and and finally we get to see like a like one of one of them actually like shoot them and that was kind of like a like it was nice to see them die by the hands of or at least get shot by the hands of uh the characters instead of just like monsters and portals taking them away um before we get into the the hippolyta though i think we should mention um letitia lewis i when she was um uh she felt sensitive uh in her reaction to garlic and uh i thought she was going to end up being a vampire but it seems like they're implying she's pregnant (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what i said since when does like pregnancy turn you into a vampire like maybe that's where that old myth comes from like women like pregnant (laughs) like i don't know stevie probably knows they'll get you (laughs) in the night they'll get you Like Stevie, when Lauren started showing, did she like start to disappear and like mirrors and stuff and like stay up? All did you night? load your revolver with a silver bullet after that? I'm happened? nothing like that. Occasionally, she would be kind of like like sprawled out in like the top corner of a ceiling, just staring at me. Oh, normal stuff. Uh, oh. Just normal stuff like that. But I mean, it wasn't too bad. I, I got over it. That's very progressive of you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let let's do dive in because Hippolya, she, okay, so she's like a genius, right, Pappy? She starts typing in all these calculations, and she's goodwill hunting. <laughs> she, she is, and I think that's kind of cool because I don't know for for me seeing an African American woman go through this journey that we're about to talk about and just be like super smart mathematically and scientifically, I think is really cool. I don't think that's shown very often in TV and stuff that just maybe I personally watch, but Pappy pick us up here as she's just like frantically pressing buttons on this machine and (laughs) the cops are showing up and things are happening. Right. Right. So what in the background, Letty and Tick or Tick is like finding out what's happening. So he's on his way quickly to the scene. That's happening in the background, but uh, she has. I guess like an arc. I don't even know what it is. Is it an arc? Do we are we supposed to know what this thing is at this point? At this arcade machine that she is like punching these like cheat codes into to turn it's a it portal. on. It's a portal machine. It was the last starfighter. It's the last starfighter machine. It, I mean, it is a portal. Like, it, okay, but there's like a machine. We don't exactly know what it does. She is able to figure it out. But like when it kicks on, that's when the cops come down. That's when Tick shows up. There, a fight ensues. In the chaos, a rift, I guess, in the space-time continuum shows up. It looks like a, just like a, literally like a tear in the atmosphere. But like in this tear... It's like changing channels of dimensions, like very Rick and Morty esque, right? Like there's all these different like like ones it'll be space and like a coastal planet, then like Hoth, then like a comet, then like all this crazy stuff, but like flying by like ten of these like in a in like five seconds or something, like going crazy. One of the cops gets tossed in there and you think it's just gonna be like this kind of like, you know, fate worse than death. And like when a cop gets tossed in there, it kind of begs the question, like, oh, what's gonna happen if like to that cop? It must be like terrible. <laughs> then fucking both Tick and sorry, what's her name? Hippolonia? I can't believe I forgot her name. Hippolyta. Hippolyta, yeah. She Tick, says Wait, Tick does not go in. I thought he does go in. Yeah, he does. 
Tick and Hippolyta go in. We Tick, don't see what happens to Tick, but like from that point on, like the last, I think he dodged it. No, he definitely uh, we'll, goes in. We'll find out later in the season, but that's what I personally think. Okay, but either way, she is definitely in, and like the last, I don't know what is it, like thirty minutes of this episode, Josh is like her in these. Di- well, I guess it starts off like she's in like a uh, slaughterhouse five esque like display zoo thing, right? Kind of like a prison. Is this that white world that's like all rainy from, oh, Kimona from Attack of <laughs> yeah. the Clones? Kind that- of. <laughs> she goes to, it looks like a civilization that once was, but is no longer. And that's when these giant silver and purple things or beings take her away to Mark Zuckerberg's house, which I can only imagine is what Mark Zuckerberg's house looks like. Um, <laughs> oh, right, 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 yeah. But with more lotion. With more lotion, for sure. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's kind of like this prison, and it's all sorts of confusing. Let me go! You are not in a prison. Where do you want to be? <laughs> Name yourself. She gets space dementia. She's losing her mind. She's <laughs> rambling, which is actually a pretty cool, fun scene to watch. And then she's like taking puzzle pieces and doing mathematical equations in her head that I have no idea how she's doing outside of memorization. Uh, and that's when that being comes back in. He was, and she's like, yo, what do you want to do? And uh, that's when we start traveling throughout history and it gets real weird. <laughs> I get the feeling she was in there for like maybe like a thousand years, like just in this white room trying to figure out like what's going on and just getting highlights of like synapses happening. She's like finally getting it. I don't know. It's almost like a purgatory she's in or something. But then we get these like three really distinct different parts of history set pieces just to list them off quickly. She's like a showgirl in Vegas. Um, Paris. Like, I'm guessing maybe like the 1920s or something like that. Maybe 1940s. She's uh, a warrior in maybe some in a desert arid climate. And Why is she the, fighting Colonel Custer? <laughs> she's in like the BC era. Like this is a long <laughs> time ago. And then she's with her husband in bed for a little bit. And then she's kind of in space. And I love the space part. And I'll just say that that's my favorite, but I'm going to toss it to you guys and get a little discussion because I thought these set pieces were really cool. I mean, I always love more Courtney B. Vance, you know, I love me some Johnny Cochran. I thought that was like uh, the most emotional part of it. It was like the heart of it. Uh, I mean, I love a good sword and sandal cutaway too, but don't get me wrong, but like it's them in bed together. That's what drew me mm-hmm. into the first episode. Yeah, the same like, me back repetition here. of the scenes. Does it hit any differently though, knowing that like, he cheated on her and is probably Tick's dad. Uh, yeah, it's a little, it's a little more sour. But I mean, I feel like there. <laughs> I don't know if I fully understand what's going on, but maybe there's hope for like second, second Courtney B. Vance to come back and uh, like a parallel universe version of him, and then he can redeem himself. I, that's one of my big questions: is if this is the only Uncle George we get from here on out, I feel like Stevie's going to be pretty sad about it. Yeah, I still think it was the biggest mistake the show made by killing off Uncle George by episode two. It made—I mean, I feel like it just lost a lot of the life that Courtney B. Vance brought to this show. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't know. I, I kind of loved the uh, warrior uh, section we got here where it, it kind of goes through the 36 chamber of Shaolin type deal where she's going up against this person nonstop until she ends up becoming victorious. And I thought it was just such a cool mashup when, you know, they're going into battle and you look over and there's a bunch of Confederates like charging her. It was just really <laughs> jarring. Yeah, I guess uh, I described it as BC, but that's not really true. I no, guess, Colonel Custer got his throat slit in there. So <laughs> no matter what dimension he's in, he loses. Um, but yeah, that I thought was really neat. I enjoyed that. Along with her floating into space. And the vibrant colors we got from that was really neat. Space was so good. I wasn't a big fan of the like Paris dancing one. I thought it was kind of boring. But Josh, if you love the space one, you should talk about that. Well, I think that one plays a part because I think that, you know, it starts off as like a real fantasy fantasy in her mind. Like what would be cool and gaudy and fancy. And I think she kind of like matures as it goes on. And it's kind of cool to see, even though this plays out so quick, these four set pieces. And I can't, I can't even like understate how much money this must have cost to put all this stuff together in production. But, um, well, this is really crappy of me. Like the, I don't remember these, these women's names, but the woman who she visits in Paris is like, was a huge deal from like a, a woman's, I guess, rights perspective. It was very interesting, like politically. And then even, when she's on her way to the uh, observatory, you know that woman who passes her in the motorcycle? Like that's, you guys remember that scene? Uh, yeah. That's based on a real woman who is the first African-American woman to travel across the United States on a motorcycle. Uh, it's like supposed to literally be that person, which is really cool. Yeah. I know, and that's shame on me for not knowing their names, but look them, look them up and learn about them. That's dope, I would love to read more about her. So the last set piece that we see, we've been talking about it. She's in space and she's exploring with Uncle George. And again, I get the feeling that they probably spend like hundreds of years maybe exploring a single planet or multiple planets. But one thing that struck me, guys, is... There's so many allegories and metaphors in here. And one of them that just really caught me off guard is there's these two CGI <laughs> aliens or two or three of them. The Toy Story aliens? Yeah, they're like look Toy Story looking. <laughs> they're like CGI. They're waddling up. They're really cool. But they're like accepting and super nice to these people. And that's something that like white people on their own planet would never be to them. And it just like kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning when these cute little green aliens are like giving them a present. Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's sweet. Is it that obvious? I don't know. I Is it supposed to be that? I thought so. I mean, yeah. I mean, like what I was more curious about was like what where is she? Is she cuz it looks like there's like neuro pathways or whatever when she's like or like maybe it's like worm holes like is you said like, we were trying to figure out spoilers is she god now what what's happened <laughs> i think she's like ozzy mantis from Watchmen, yes. and we brought up Watchmen think, earlier but dave you got a theory on her i'm fine with her being god that seems like about right for the show seems mm -hmm. like we were always headed to somebody being some kind of deity she's like ozzy mantis she's kind of like experienced 
everything or has like found some true nirvana or something like that. Um, but she doesn't choose to stay in limbo and live with this other race of beings. I don't I guess I'm going with a parallel timeline idea. Oh yeah. Like I f- like because Atticus comes back alone. So I feel like now we're I don't maybe this is probably going to be proven wrong in mere moments of the next episode. But I don't know, it just feels like like I don't know, it just feels like we're coming to some kind of merging of universes or or she's like become like the master of her timeline and now is going to return to the prime timeline or the darkest timeline or whatever like, it may what be. Was up, yeah, so... Like the book and the comic book, like are those clues? Cause it was said it was like written by Tick's niece and the book was written by his uncle. Is that like, is that a clue to the parallel universe thing? Like what's, I, 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 I'm so, this episode is so confusing to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't what's think happening. so. I think that's a clue for the soon to be arriving police of who killed this cop that's on the ground. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes more sense. And, and like, I love this clip. Stevie, do you like this cliffhanger? I do. Cause it raises a lot of questions that I hope we get answered in the next three episodes. I just hope it doesn't take it to one of those find out next season type deals. I hope it connects <laughs> to like everything. And they don't spend a summer trying to figure out what in the hell to do with this because, I mean, that's kind of like a lost type deal where it's like, hey, we're, we're throwing this in there. I'm like, oh, what does it mean? But you're never going to find out. Like, I hope they actually bring things together that actually make sense. Mystery boxes. Isn't J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams an executive producer? Damon Lindelof, yeah. I mean, yeah, J.J. Abrams probably will do that. I love it, and my personal theory is that, I don't know, when Hippolyta comes back, she's going to be so good at everything that this, like, this is what I'm hoping, that this mere comic book by the side of a dead cop is going to be, like, really easy for her to just brush aside and move past. Because she should be a badass from here on out, as far as I'm concerned. But I think that pretty much closes us out. I would be loath not to mention the fact that, again, this song Sinner Man coming on at oh, the yeah. end of the episode, just like every episode, hits me in just the right, right place every single time. Oh, Cinnamon, we ain't gonna run to Cinnamon, we ain't gonna run to Cinnamon. Um, Pappy, I think that's episode seven. Should I pass it back to you to kind of close us out here? Well, are we gonna do? You want to do yes or no's? Uh, I think for, we should. Yeah, I kind of want to do it episode by episode. I'll go. I'll go first since I started uh, with uh, first host and kicked off the episode. All right, five. Strange case. That's the Polyjuice Potion one and the one where we learn about uh, Atticus's dad's sexuality. Uh, I'm gonna give that a very. I'm gonna give that a soft yes. Um, I think the Ruby stuff is like really strong as a concept. I think I wish there was more of it. Like, man, I wish we just had an hour of like that arc of like her getting the polyjuice, like getting in there, becoming disillusioned, and then ultimately like seeking revenge on the boss. Like that could have like held up a whole fifty-minute episode. But soft yes, meet me in Degau. 
uh, hard yes, best episode of the series so far. Also the most like self-contained, so I think you're probably going to see a pattern here. Seven, soft no for I am. I Dude, I was just so confused. I am I don't know if I need to like watch it again. Like I watched it right before this podcast. I, mean, I didn't give it enough time to like sink in or process, but no. I, I just don't. I just I don't know if these three episodes deserve deserve a, a yes altogether, and like frankly, the show is just becoming so unfocused, and it, it is kind of like a JJ. And not saying this is like a JJ Abrams fault per se, but it's like a JJ Abrams thing where it's like we have so many good questions and mysteries. Let's focus on those. Let's spend time more time with Tick. Let's spend more time with Letty. Like we d- let's spend more time with Ruby. Like we just had. It, they go back to back like self these weird like just off character giving them an episode thing so a soft no for that but i'm still enjoying the show overall i would say but i'm more skeptical of what eight nine and ten are gonna bring that i've ever been uh to this point so i think stevie you were you were next host can i ask pat you a question first pappy yeah are you familiar with a makeup call in like basketball this might Football. be for uh, his. Is this a of makeup violence. call for Indiana Jones? <laughs> like, of all the episodes, that's probably my. Li- uh, that's, you know, I knew what was happening though in History of Violence, Indiana Jones episode. At least I was like coherent with the plot. <laughs> like there were times when this, I just like, like I'm like, why are we seeing this? What's happening? Like it's cool, but we're wasting screen real script real estate here. Time, I don't know. But Stevie, uh, five, six, and seven for you. Um, oh man, oh man, oh man. After watching it again, I will give episode five a soft yes. Um, I just like what they do with colors in this show. I think color red, what what they do with the color red is really cool um, throughout this series. Episode six, um, hard, hard yes. I That's my favorite episode so far. I just like how they took a story in the opposite side of the world and still somehow connected it connected it to what we're watching. So loved that episode seven. It, it may be one of those things where it's like you change your mind after you watch episode eight or nine because everything makes sense now. And you're like, oh, this is so cool. But as it stands now, I think this is my first no. I'm gonna give uh, episode seven just a no. I didn't hate it or anything. It's just. I feel like it's one of those episodes where let's throw, a th- uh, you know, let's throw a thousand questions out there and see what sticks. So it'll be a no for episode seven for me. Interesting. Josh, I believe you were the next host. Yeah. Um, I totally get and respect everything you guys say, but as much hype as you guys put into episode six again before I watched today, I still think episode seven was my favorite and you guys both gave that no which is crazy to me but yeah i'll give them all three a yes uh i just love the sci-fi stuff um it keeps hitting on race in a cool interesting thoughtful way even if maybe i'm slow to get it pappy sorry but i You're like shouting, get it, get it to me. That's my, that's like a bit I do on the pod. It's like a reoccurring, that's not (laughs) But I think like Hippolyta (laughs) is like classical Greek mythology. (laughs) It's a character. I don't know a ton about it, but I just think this, it's, 
we we've stopped off on a lot of these episodes to give one character the spotlight. In number five, it was Ruby, and in number seven, it's Hippolyta. And I just love how it went so crazy and off the wall with it, even revisiting Kimona and everything. So um, I'm going to give five a decent yes, six a hard yes, and seven a hard yes as well. And I'll pass it on over to Dave Mello. Uh, I am definitely siding more with you on this. Uh, I think f- episode five is probably my least favorite of all the episodes so far. I that was the closest I came to just being like, all right, I don't even know what the hell I'm even watching anymore. Um, so that was prob- that one. I'll probably I'll do lean no if I, if I'm gonna take a cue from the Nate Silver uh, way of describing things, I'll say lean no. Um, episode the episode six, um, it has grown on me over time. At first, I was like, okay, again, not sure what's actually going on, but uh, talking about it and thinking about it, I was like, no, I actually that's actually good vibe. So I'm gonna give that one a lean yes. Wow. And then the most recent one is my favorite since um, since the first one. So I'm going to go a hard yes on episode seven, which I thought was incredible. I just loved that whole the whole second half of it was like, I was like, yes, this is what I have been hoping to get from this show this whole time. We kept saying that she was in space. I don't know if describe. Can you describe space for us? I don't know if we ever really said what it was. What is the space? Purple. Like. Dreamy, <laughs> slow motiony, <laughs> cool. It's like cosmos. It's great. Because that's what black people are. Myth. That's about as good as it can get in terms of spoilers. Hedging our bets, getting uh yeses and noes someone's least favorite episode someone's favorite episode so far everyone's gonna like this but it doesn't get better than having a guest like dave wheelroot mellow on the podcast host of the goodbye Uh, mellow brick road podcast dave really quickly do you want to describe what that podcast is all about we are just we we just crank out top fives um any top five you can think of in the world um today we released top five candy bars and that was a great one and we got uh, we got it. We, it's just it's good times. Like we keep the good times rolling. We we'd love to have you on the last episode or two here. And I think like also we're hoping Money Mike will be back as well, right? Yeah, Dave, would you like to come back and do finish us out? It would it would be an honor. That is the way to do it. You got to put him on the spot. Josh texted me. Uh, <laughs> you got to put him on the spot on air, which is a good call from Josh. But. <laughs> put you on the spot make sure you look up goodbye mellow brick road subscribe give it a good rating on itunes if you enjoyed this podcast tonight please do the same for spoilers or wherever you're listening to us use that apps mechanism to provide us positive feedback that's always helpful look for more spooky spoilers that come out the rest of this month uh i think that's it um take us away spooky spoiler Spoiler Man here. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcastspoilers. It's lit. Now you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. That was Spoilers.